0: Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Zach, and up next, the mental side of fatigue what we know and what we can do about it as runners. And after that, World of Running updates focused on our exclusive World Championships preview. As you can hear, or not. Zach is solo today. Andy is not with us in this moment recording, but that's okay. She'll be back soon. And I know you'll all be greatly relieved when she is. So you don't have to hear just Zach talking at you solo for so long. Well, as it happens, uh, you can hear even less of us talking at you, at least about our own ideas and even more of your ideas by sharing comments and questions, and especially going to a to z slash question to then share any thoughts and questions you have about the running stuff and related things so that you can then certainly receive a response. We'll send you some thoughts in response, um, but also we'll feature questions at the end of the month as we do every month. And those are the best moments on the a to z Running Podcast. And so share your questions at a2zrunning.com slash question. Ask them anytime. Ask as many as you'd like and about anything insofar as it relates to running and some connection therein, and then we'll respond. And it's wonderful. Oh, by the way, you who are people on social media, if you're a person on social media, um, you should send Andy a note Since she's not here, I get to do this to her. Um, It's her birthday on August 17th. So depending on when you're listening to this, you should go onto those social places because those are places where people say things like happy birthday and do that to Andy. And uh, then when she hears me saying this, when she listens to this, she'll say, why did you say that? But it's too late because it's already on air. All right, go do that on August 17th and that'll be a fun and very kind thing for her and uh good reciprocity as she does fun and kind things for lots of other people well that being all i have to say at the moment there's a lot of interesting and fascinating things to share with you around the topic of fatigue and its associations with running and performance so let's go ahead and get right to it So for this topic, in some ways, this is an extension of some of the things that we were looking at uh, a couple episodes ago as we were talking about some of the studies within the sport uh, recently. And in particular, we had encountered a book and we wanted to read it in more depth and detail before trying to share too much more of what we were reading about that was interesting to us. And so in... Insofar as that has happened now, we um, wanted to bring some of these thoughts together for you from a few different sources on the topic of fatigue. Fatigue is a fascinating concept for runners, um, especially uh, for everyone, but for runners, especially because it, it is a combination of multiple layers that are not usually things that people are concerned about in conjunction with each other. Most everyday people uh, are not worried about these things as they relate to one another, and specifically these things as I'm talking about this, fatigue and physical performance and fatigue and physical endurance and some of these types of things. Um, we're going to throw some new uh, some new verbiage at you here on uh, the episode, some interesting concepts, um, and some of this will refer back to some ideas that we have discussed in the past, uh, some works that we've uh, explored a little bit on the podcast before, but we want to try to focus a little bit more narrowly here and get at what the practical, the practical takeaway with all of this. So anytime you start talking about things like the physiology and the science behind it and all of those things, right? Um, it's often very heady and, uh, not practical, not pragmatic. It's, it's like these big ideas and it's fascinating and they did all these studies and well, that's cool. But, um, but does that have, does that really change anything that I'm doing <laughs> or should it? Because sometimes it shouldn't as well. So we're going to address that here because that really is the reason why this topic is so valuable for us as people, regardless of whether or not we're, we are athletic and running. And then also for us as people who are also runners. So let's get into that. Um, the, 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 multi-layer facets of fatigue here first start with a quick study this is ashley Sampson, um researcher she wanted to get a better understanding of what goes on in a runner's mind and so she performed this study and uh shared in the running smart book um which is one of the recent reads that we we've been exploring and so this one in particular what she did uh keep in mind that um, almost all research as far as the author is concerned here explaining this, almost all research about what we are thinking as we are running, it's usually retrospective. You know, they finish a run or a race, and then they take a survey. Um, And while that can be valuable information, uh, first of all, perception surveys are almost always the worst possible type of um, actual like academic research. Uh, But also, the more time that passes uh, outside of the moment that I'm thinking a thought, the less likely I am to recall that thought in any Great reliability so here's what they did in a study this is a samson study and she had 10 runners wear microphones like recording like audio recorders uh while they were running and just like stream of consciousness whatever's going on in your head speak it aloud <laughs> into, into the recording so as you can imagine first of all reviewing the data these data were uh, very difficult to review because we're talking about just listening to hours and hours of audio recordings. There are only 10 runners and you can imagine how hard it would be to scale this study to any substantial degree. And then as, as listening to these runners, just kind of stream of consciousness. And they were, I should mention they were doing long runs specifically um, where the workouts that the runners were doing. So it wasn't just like their, you know, everyday easy mileage. And it was interesting. It was very interesting. Um, you get all sorts of things like, um, the runners, you know, change in emotion and uh, mental state over the course of the run. And this like back and forth. I'm feeling great about life. I hate life, you know, all this kind of stuff. Now that I'm running uphill, everything's awful. And I feel miserable now that I'm running down. I feel great. So, Um, things of that nature. And what they tried to do is basically say, okay, so what do we notice in terms of correlations between all the things that these random people are sharing and keeping in mind that all of this is a, a very, very small sample size. I mean, 10 runners out of, you know, how, how many tens of millions of just Americans run. There's a recent stat that I saw in the United States of America, something like 50 or 60 million people run regularly or, or somewhat regularly. So as it goes, um, this is small. So we just have to take that into consideration now here's what they found some kind of themes developed over the hours i think they said they had 18 hours of audio Uh, some themes developed and those themes uh were primarily the main ones uh talking about pace and distance pain and discomfort and their environment around them (laughs) observing what's going on around oh look at that rabbit and that's a cute rabbit uh things like that so What I would have probably predicted in a situation like this is exactly what would have happened. People were thinking about their performance, you know, like how am I doing on this workout kind of thing. That's the the pace and distance stuff. Um, They were also then thinking about how they felt about it. (laughs) It's uh, probably the thing that we think about the most when we're running. This either feels great or it feels terrible, and it's very rarely something in between. Um, And then uh, naturally, whatever immediate distractions can take my mind away from those two things, which I don't really want to just be thinking about nonstop the whole time. Um, So that's a fascinating study. I think that it, it lends itself to the consideration that we tend to be focused no matter, no matter who we are and what kind of workout we're doing. Although certainly the more challenging the workout, the more likely this is true. um, We tend to be focused on a certain few things as we're running and the nature of that focus like how we are thinking about those things can be very predictive of some of our results. And we'll get we're going to get into that here. So here's, here's what I want to the question, the big question that I want to try to answer with some of this research and information is why do we stop? Um, That was the author's particular question in the book here. And then uh, the way that um, Alex Hutchinson, another author, which we'll refer to some of his work here shortly, he, he says, quit. Why do we quit? Um, so that that's an important question to answer because it's going to then influence some of our decisions if we understand what contributes to the choice to, and I do say it that way as a choice because that's the way these authors are going to present the with a compelling argument, the case. Um, it's not a thing that happens to us, the stopping. My body doesn't stop first my mind stops first the, the will stops first and the body follows not to suggest that the body doesn't have a break point and will eventually stop no matter what i will it to do but we'll get to that so let's start with samuel marcora um here now this uh he's a physiologist at i believe is university of kent and um specifically spend a ton of time around the combination of physiology and psychology. And what's going on and jiving between the two. Um, he specifically believes that motivation, not exhaustion, is the culprit in terms of stopping. Uh, that it is the will that breaks first. And that, not to suggest exhaustion isn't present, it's informing the will in that moment. But, um that it, that's what happened. So he does he does a number of different things. Here, we're going to come back to a few of them. One study, which is fascinating, he takes cyclists. He did most of his studies with cyclists, by the way. Um, apparently, he had a personal fascination with bikes in general. He once rode a motorcycle from London to Beijing over land. Yes, you heard that. London to Beijing. Now, of course, not purely over land because you, you can't get from London to the rest of Europe on land. But he with crossing a few bodies of water on boats and barges. Motorcycled from London to Beijing. So that's the kind of person who's doing these studies. Okay, Marcoras takes cyclists and he does has them do a 5 second max effort test. Just all out for 5 seconds and he's he's testing their power output. And then after that, they then do what is essentially a kind of VO2 max test, high resistance 12 minute you're kind of running, riding as hard as you can with a sustainable 12 minute effort. And then another five second maximum test. Um, now of course, what inevitably what happens with the 12 minutes, by the way, when they're doing that is they ride until they cannot, uh, until they say, I am, I cannot go any further. I'm absolutely done. And then as soon as they say that, he says, okay, now do five seconds as hard as you possibly can. And this is what's amazing in the study. So they claim the cyclists that after about 12 minutes, and it's not exactly 12 for all of them, but after about 12 minutes, they're totally spent. I've got nothing left, right? Except for that five second massive burst of energy. Oh, I forgot to say the second five second max burst was almost as substantial power output as the first, not quite as high, which is predictable, but substantially higher than the 12 minutes prior to that so how can that be except for that the body clearly is capable of something there but i somewhere in my will convinced myself that i was not able to go on any longer and had to stop during the 12 minutes so his conclusion is that that's a mind thing that that's the motivation not exhaustion that's stopping me i i wonder about that conclusion if there aren't other confounding factors in this particular instance we'll talk about some more studies here too but even something like well we also know that there are different types of muscle fibers and different types of energy uh, supplies in our system and so like creatine phosphate for instance is a type of energy that provides a sudden burst of energy just like this five second max test it lasts for maybe 10 seconds at most um, before it's just all burnt out but it also replenishes quickly And so that's something that maybe, you know, there's the potential that there was an energy supply available to me for a max burst for five seconds that wasn't available to me previously. That's a question to consider, not something they were particularly examining here, but there's more layers involved. So what ends up being the case is this idea of, um, of efforts and, and, uh, connections to our mental Exertion and our physical exertion, that concept apparently has been studied for a lot longer than people tend to realize. Um, Alex Hutchinson, in his book Endure Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance, um, great read, by the way. Uh, we've referenced it before. We've, we've used some of his work to inform our concepts around uh, perception and expectation. Um, so, in this particular example that Hutchinson's sharing, uh there's a study from Angelo Musso in June of 1889 yes you heard me right that was the year 1889 like the early stages of the industrial revolution <laughs> so uh what Musso did did uh he being a professor in the university um studied his colleagues and what he asked them to do is uh drain the end of the school year they were administering oral exams um Prior to the oral exams, he would have a colleague tie a string with a weight on the end of it around one finger and then just lift it. like So it's like f- finger lift repeats. <laughs> and so they would do that. Um, and I think it was just lift to exhaustion, essentially. Lift until you can't anymore um, and count the number of repeats. And then after administering the oral exam, so the only thing that the professor did in between this is sit or stand and listen to students uh, respond to questioning, uh, right? So that's, <laughs> that's what they did. And then repeat the tests, lift the weight. Now Maso found, as we can all predict right now, that the, these professors were not able to lift as many repetitions after delivering oral exams versus another time that they were able to when they were fresher. So the mental, his conclusion is the mental fatigue of administering oral exams actually has physical ramifications and affects our physical potential, physiological potential. So that's compelling because that if that's been proven in some sense or another for over 120, 130 years, um, if that's the case, then it should not be something that we are surprised to encounter in uh, performance athletics today in so many ways. So then Hutchinson carries on, and this is by the way in his chapter entitled "The Conscious Quitter." So you can see you can see the author's bias a little bit here. He clearly has uh, his opinion stated directly in the title of the chapter. He thinks that it's it's the mind, it's the will that quits before the body. Um, so he looks at what, what uh, the previous researcher we mentioned, Marcora, termed the psychobiological model. And that is the sense of when muscle fatigue occurs, my sense of effort changes. Markora called it perceived exertion, which I kind of like that phrase a little bit better uh, because the exertional component in, uh, insinuates action. Like exertion is something I'm choosing to do, where effort is a little bit more nuanced than that. But uh, whatever the case may be, muscle fatigue is followed by a sense of effort or perception of exertion and then as a result of that perception, I choose to stop. Um, this is compared to the traditional model, which is like muscle fatigue and body stops and muscle fatigue. And I feel like I need to stop, you know, so like they're happening at the same time. These guys suggest, no, you're actually seeing how you're observing your own effort. And you're observing that in the context of the fatigue you're feeling and deciding that's enough. I, that's all I can handle or something. Um, Th- this is further illustrated in so many ways. And so I want to share. I was giving you a study from 134 years ago. How about something from 2019? <laughs> Four years ago. Um, in, in this particular study published in the European Journal of Sports Science, they actually provide for us some more clear definitions of the concept. So a definition, which I feel like is, is a good one for mental fatigue, is a psychobiological state caused by prolonged periods of demanding cognitive activity. And then further demanding activity that is shown to negatively influence physical performance so that's the they're making the connection there for us but mental fatigue is is this idea of prolonged demanding cognitive activity which may or may not be connected to physical activity we'll come back to that but uh the the they further uh acknowledge that uh while that is a definition that they're using in operation Uh, apparently the term and the concept is not commonly defined amongst uh, many of these works. And so you find a lot of different ways people are looking at it. Um, And that's important because you can read one study that says it's about mental fatigue, but they're defining mental fatigue as a very different thing than perhaps this one. So the consequences of this idea of prolonged Demanding cognitive activity. Analysis revealed, quoting from the study, perceived associations between mental fatigue and changes in behavior, including disengagement, decreased motivation, enthusiasm and enthusiasm, increased displays of emotion and withdrawal, changes in concentration, decreased discipline and attention to detail as well so that's disheartening (laughs) that's the idea that if i'm so if i'm experiencing this mental fatigue um, the insinuation here is that prolonged demanding cognitive activity is likely to produce in me demotivation decreased engagement um, experiences uh, emotional experiences so the emotional shift can be more extreme as a result um, as well as poor, poorer concentration discipline and even things like a reduced attention to detail. I just restated the same thing they did, sorry. Uh, so in, in principle, that is bad. <laughs> that's that's a really bad thing. Um, now, the assumption here within these consequences is that that's the result of prolonged periods of demanding cognitive activity that extend beyond my what you could call my range of tolerance. I can tolerate and endure a certain amount of this demanding activity before it begins to have a negative effect on me and that's important um it's daniel pink author of drive a whole new mind he's got the book called when about like the secrets of perfect timing which is excellent he's, he's also got a book about regret and that is well worth reading, or at least reading about. Uh, very interesting. But as it goes, Daniel Pink calls this the Goldilocks zone, which is that you know we have we have struggle. Struggle is good. We'll come back to this here later. But struggle is good in certain amounts. And there's kind of like a, a happy medium. Too little struggle, like if something's just too easy, then it just doesn't feel worth it. If it's too much struggle, then it burns us out, it wears us out, it demotivates us, something like that. So this is the same thing with this principle of. Uh, mental fatigue. Uh, a certain amount of strenuous mental activity is within that Goldilocks zone is productive for us. Uh, too much produces these negative consequences. So then, what further the study indicates here? What further seems to cause uh, mental fatigue? And there's there's a really simple short list here, uh, and it's not difficult to see the the point. Uh, media engagements. Um, specifically now we're talking about interacting with multimedia experiences and there's a lot of different things that fall under that bill, but, um, let's, let's call it screen time, right? So time on screens causes mental fatigue, study and work commitments were also reported to induce mental fatigue. And so that's just the simple nature of like, I have to do this thing and it takes a while to do it. The longer it takes to do it or the harder I perceive the task to be, the greater the mental fatigue. Um, but beyond that, even if it's not things like that are imposed upon us, like school or work, um, how about things like repetitive tasks, just like tasks that are highly repetitive can produce mental fatigue over analysis. Okay. So here's, here's where the fault line comes up, comes up for many of us. Um, Cause we think of ourselves as like, I overthink everything, right? Well, by the way, you're stressing yourself out by being an overthinker. And I'm saying that as one who fully embraces the same fact in myself, um, overthinking many things, but over analysis is closely is not just correlated, but caused shows cause for mental fatigue. Um, thinking about the thing that I was trying to do, um, and thinking about it too much. So, so like hyper focus produces mental fatigue. Um, environmental instability and this is huge just the simple nature of like my routine or my um, uh, well just like my my general comfort right if it's unpredictable and unstable um, can produce mental fatigue so that's that 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 basically means like it's really easy (laughs) mental fatigue is caused easily Um, like day-to-day life is going to cause mental fatigue And I I can't remember who exactly, um, who exactly said this to me at one point, but, uh, it was the comment we were talking about sleep. So there's, there's a study about sleep that they were basically trying to find out, can you, uh, can you survive without any substantial negative effects by changing the way you go about sleeping? Like what if you just sleep for 30 minute increments and it's, cumulatively the same amount of sleep like eight hours over the course of a 24 hour period but you just do it in like 30 minute chunks randomly throughout the day Um, one of the comments that someone gave me is well the reason that i need sleep isn't because uh you know in my mind it's not for this like whatever the sleep benefits are happening within my body it's like the reason i need sleep is so that my mind isn't doing anything (laughs) consciously and i'm shut down for eight hours so that i have that time to recharge well that among other things so Everyday life causes mental fatigue. Right. Um, And it should be noted further within this context. The study then concludes mental fatigue also is perceived to not only develop acutely, like instantially, um, but also build in a cumulative manner specifically as they were looking at the connection between mental fatigue and elite sports, which in particular, this study was trying to find that connection, um, specifically observed in uh, elite athletes among, you know, certainly everyone, but uh, in elite athletes, they're finding prominence in this too um, as it affects performance. So this cumulative concept with fatigue is huge because now what that's telling me is um, if I don't have a break, in the you know if I don't have like think about stress and rest periods uh, with our physiology if I don't do the have that kind of experience with mental fatigue then it accumulates accumulates and as it's accumulating um, those consequences that we mentioned earlier the really unpleasant things like uh, decreased motivation and engagement and lessened enthusiasm that stuff is far more likely to continue to occur as my mental fatigue accumulates so. What then, my big question, what, what can we do about it? Because this is not good. <laughs> these things sound like, well, that, that sounds unpleasant. And how do I, you know, what can I do about that? That sounds like things I can't really control. Um, I want to get into some of these layers. And Alex Hutchinson in his, in his book Endure has uh, some really helpful things to point us to as well. So one consideration, there's, a, there's a number of layers here to address this question practically. Uh, one of them is the idea of diverting our mind and our focus, um, or potentially in like a, you know, doing something to change the way I'm thinking. Right. So let's go back to an early, early study that Hutchinson references Nin- 1898. Um, this is believed to be, by the way, the, the kind of the catalyst for the beginnings of, um, f- physiological study in sport and uh, so this study in particular what they did is they took cyclists and they found the researchers um, that they were observing cyclists in individual settings isolation and social settings and they rode faster when in social settings riding with others instead of alone well that's crazy (laughs) how is it possible that just by riding with other people you ride faster well have you ever run in a race with other people Um, you know you know how that feels. So social running has a curious effect on fatigue. And we have to remember that um, in a few different layers, one of them is simply the perception of fatigue is different when I am running socially than when I'm running in isolation. Um, Part of that is the distraction. So just by like, being with someone else, and we're just talking about other things and, and such, I am less focused on how bad I might be feeling, or less worried about whether I'm feeling bad, which is another a whole another side of this is like this idea of, am I feeling badly right now? And by, by the fact that I ask the question, I am biasing myself toward a negative answer there. Um, now you can flip that in your mind and it's like, you know, I, my legs are feeling badly, but I turn it into a question instead of a statement, but am I, am I feeling that badly? And and some, sometimes that can kind of lift me a bit too, but in general, social settings help us to, they distract us in a positive and a productive way. Uh, but also, there's another layer to this, which is they find that um, the idea of uh, being with other people in an activity actually produces measurable uh, like hormone changes in our body. And so those hormones are, as you might guess, like euphoric hormones, and they help us feel just good about life in general. So yes, running with other people can, <laughs> can make us – feel better um it can actually make us perform better it is true uh and we we should not discount the fact that um but uh i should note that uh in competition there's there's more involved here because uh you have two layers one of them is um there's there's you can almost see this moment when a runner kind of quits uh, think about like if you're watching uh, an elite level race on the track because you can then see all the runners as the cameras are following them in high definition um and you see as the pack starts to kind of spread out a bit when a runner clearly is like starts to become dejected and starts to kind of slow down lose contact is the phrase they always use they lose contact with the pack in front of them or the, the runner in front of them and the, immediately the gap starts to increase And in almost every situation, now the savvy tactician might be doing this on purpose, who is in front, but in almost every situation, the person ahead is not accelerating. The person behind is decelerating. Um, And so the assumption there is they must not be able to continue. That must be it. They're, They're spent. They have nothing left. Well, Hutchinson would claim in many of these situations, as would some of the researchers referenced here, that chances are those runners could continue, but they are choosing not to. And that's a really uh, accusatory thing to state. That's a very judgmental thing to assert here, not knowing, you know, you can't just say to a person, well, you could have gone faster, but you just chose not to. Uh, What a nice guy, right? Um, No, So you're not going to say it like that. And you're not going to frame it that way as you think about the topic. Instead, it's the concept of remembering that there tends to be a moment when I no longer think I can, whatever the thing is. And as soon as that's true in my mind, how I perceive and believe that, then I am almost definitely going to see a reduction in performance. Uh, because remember that 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 conscious decision uh, tends to follow some kind of perception of effort or exertion from the psychobiological model we were mentioning. Now, uh, there's there's more involved though. Um, so. They, they did another study here, and this one was crazy. It um, took cyclists, again, because it's very easy. Cyclists is super easy to control things because you can control the resistance. You can control um, the much of what's happening there because they're just sitting in a fixed location. But as it were, uh, they took these screens, put them in front of the cyclists, and literally uh, subliminally flashed faces that were either smiling or frowning. And... Subliminally, because what they what they did is they made it happen so quickly that your conscious detection can't actually see what just flashed in front of you. However, as you know, um, our brains capture images much faster than our conscious thought decodes them. So they were showing these cyclists subliminal images Barely discernible. It's like a flicker on a screen uh, of someone smiling or someone frowning. And the the riders, I think I said runner, the riders, the cyclists who saw the smiling faces subliminally, were actually able to ride. Minutes longer at this like, you know, how hard can you ride for how long kind of test minutes longer. We're talking about like the difference between 22 and 25 minutes or something. So a a fair percentage of minutes longer. And they didn't even consciously know what they were seeing at the time. So. They they found, and this has been then re- replicated in other kinds of ways, they found that when I see things that are positive and uplifting around me, that I am, in fact, likely to be able to perform better. So connect that to the cheering fans in the stadium, right? If, if you're in a stadium that has all of these seats and most of them are empty and you can't really hear anyone cheering versus a stadium that's filled with 70,000 roaring people, what's likely to have a more positive effect? on my performance potential. I can literally jump farther, run faster when that's happening. So there's that. But then also layer into that the consideration of when other people are performing well around me in the race, and I know it. So like you got things like world record attempts. In almost every instance, when a world record attempt is successful, you see a substantial number of people in that race who didn't successfully attempt the world record also have incredible performances, personal best, national records, things like that are happening all the time in these these big world record performances. Two reasons, one is because they're pacing them at you know a crazy fast pace, so people are just kind of dragged along. But also, if you're in this race and you know the person up there is going for this world record, I feel better about the thing that I'm doing too. And And it may not ever be a conscious thought, but it certainly is happening. And it's proven time and time again in those races. So that's huge. Now, um, we add one more, one more consideration here, um, which is, and this goes back to Andy. A- Andy has a strategy, right? She s- has said many times, uh, again, I- I'm saying this without her on the show. She really should be here when I'm saying these things. But this is a nice thing. I'm not saying a bad thing about Andy because I don't do that. But um, Andy likes to say when she's feeling badly in a race that she tries to force herself to smile. To help herself feel better, and in her own anecdotal evidence, that has been effective. But also, that's been studied directly, and as you might guess, it is consistently true. Now, here's a study that's just a hilarious way, hilarious way to go about this. So they they took the participants and they had them put, I think it was essentially like a pencil in their mouth. Now, the ones did it horizontally, so they were like biting it like a bit between their teeth, and as you might guess, that forces your muscles behind your cheeks to lift slightly, which is the same kind of motion as a smile. And so it's not even literally, you're not deliberately smiling. You're just trying to hold a pencil in your mouth, but the muscles are moving like a smile. And then the other ones, they had them hold the pencil in their mouth like a straw. So it's like kind of um, in in the middle of their mouth instead of horizontally uh, across their teeth. And so the ones who were holding it like a straw, their face was was, uh, more like a frowning motion to constrict the straw the pencil and then the others were more like a smile and so without even being a deliberate facial expression they then had this is why this this study is so funny they had them read comic strips and describe how funny the comic strips were like rate them and the ones who had the smiling like motion with the pencil in their mouth rated the comics as more funny on average than the ones who didn't Now, this is a difficult study to prove out because it's all super subjective, Uh, but with enough people and with enough different uh, test examples, you can switch back and forth, you know, things like that. Okay. So it's true that you can, we have found this to be the case you can create an emotional response by a physical action. So my forcing a smile, Andy's forcing a smile on the race actually makes her then feel happier because she smiled even though she wasn't feeling happy before she smiled. So they're both happening at once. We are able to influence our perceptions of things, and especially insofar as they're like emotional perceptions, simply by such actions. So really, really incredible things um marcora then had another suggestion and uh in general and hutchinson was at a a presentation that marcora was giving um which is why he's referencing so many things that he said and he said that after or in a break in the presentation he went up to marcora the presenter and and said hey you were talking about mental training exercises tell me more about that one of the things marcora said is he's like they're terrible They're awful. People will hate you if you do them, because what you're going to do is you're going to have people do these super repetitive, cognitively arduous tasks over and over and over, and they're going to hate it. (laughs) Ultimately, it's going to be miserable. But his premise, Marcora's premise, is that you can increase your mental fortitude, which of course you can. There's, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that I can increase my mental fatigue resistance, but how to do it in such a way that's effective and that produces the desired results, I think is leads us to the most important moment in any of these conversations, which is what's the big takeaway. What does this actually mean for the things I'm doing in a practical way? And I have to say that for me, as I read through all of this, and as I was trying to kind of prepare the thoughts in a way that made sense to share them with you, um, there's one thing that stands out to me more than anything else. And that is, it just so happens to be the case that most of us live in a, a society and culture that is very averse to struggle. I say most of us because I don't know for sure what your circumstances are as you're listening to this, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that most parts of the world today value and prize comfort and convenience over just about everything else. We want to live comfortable and convenient lives, which is not a terrible thing. I'm not casting judgment on that. But what I'm saying is those things have very low struggle factors if they're happening at a high level. Right. And remember the Goldilocks zone from Daniel Pink. There's this area we want to be in not every moment of every day, but certainly all uh, much of the time, this area where there's some struggle and it's enough struggle that it's pushing me, stretching me, making me a little uncomfortable, but not so much struggle that it's paralyzing or overwhelming me. And so we have to find opportunity to engage with the struggle, especially the struggle that presents mental demand on us. I'm not just talking about going out and lifting heavy things to make my body stronger. Um, I'm talking about engaging with the day-to-day life struggles and engaging with them directly. And in so doing, understanding that that is training, that is training, but that is also training myself to endure more effectively. And uh, so as I say that, the, the, the challenging moments in our day that relate to training are a great opportunity to a kind of a soft entrance into some of these things. For example, I don't want to run on the treadmill for my long run, but that's my only option and it's going to be miserable. Maybe I'll cut it short, right? Well, if I'm cutting it short because I need to for like health purposes because there's, there's some risk or concern there, great. I'm not going to argue with you there. But if I'm cutting it short because it's like ah, oh, the treadmill is just super boring. Well, that, that was an opportunity for me to better train myself in this mental fatigue. Um, so the treadmill, how about when it's, it's super hot outside, it's super cold outside, it's rainy outside, you know, it's, it's unpleasant conditions, right? And I just don't really want to run in that opportunity for me to train my mental fatigue. So uh, there's, and the, the examples abound. um, uh, the one that always comes up for me is I just finished a long day of work. I should have run before work, but I didn't want to, because I wanted to get more sleep or I didn't have enough time. because I had to be in early and now it's the end of the day. And uh, 90 minute run just really sounds not, not great right now. Like instead I could take a nap or something and, or just eat dinner earlier and get to bed earlier. However, there's my opportunity because insofar as we understand that the most likely limiting factor for us to extend our performance potential in a moment is our will to drive further i need to i need to work on that i shouldn't assume that that's going to be available to me simply because of what i'm doing in my day to day training i should work on that And I should work on it in the moments that present themselves as opportunities to work on that most. So there you have an examination of mental fatigue and how fatigue mentally and fatigue physically and physiologically come together to create a very challenging combination of obstacles for us as runners. But we can do it and and we can do it. And if we're not doing it well right now, we can do it better. We can get better. And so fine. The next step, one small area to work towards some incremental growth in the mental fatigue, just like we say with our physiological training. With that, I think we're ready for the world of running. Okay, let's get started with some updates from the crew, the A to Z runners out there who are doing the things. CJ, mad shout out to a second overall performance in the Zealand Zoom 5K, as well as a big personal best. Always exciting. That's not a not a common thing to take chunks of time off of a 5K, but that time he did and congrats cj laura ran two races in one event she ran at the crystal run the lake event the three mile race and the five mile race and finished first overall in the three mile Woot! and a big time improvement in both events uh, such that um, from those events she's done them previously in previous years mary Ran the Cheeseburger 5K and finished second female overall. Well done, Mary. And at the moment that I'm saying this, and I don't know exactly when you're listening to this, but at the moment I'm saying this, Chad is about three days into the Bigfoot 200, which is you know approximately 200-mile race. And he's about three days in, somewhere in the 175-mile range. Again, it kind of just depends on... Where exactly you're listening to this, but, uh, as, as I'm recording it about 175 miles in, he's still going. So good luck, Chad. We're wishing you the best and well right now. And we hope that you're on your feet and you're still enduring. Now we have essentially one topic here to address. Uh, and I just kind of have two layers of it. The world championships begins in August 19 and that will be held in Budapest, um, and what we're talking about there is now all of those qualifications from all the different nations we've been talking about. You know, a country can send three athletes per event if they qualify. Uh, there's sometimes a fourth wild card um, if you were the previous World Championships winner in that event, or the Diamond League circuit winner in the previous year, or there's a couple other things. Um, and so. We've basically got three or four athletes from each country representing in the different events, trying to take, uh, you know, take the best of the best and put them against each other for a, a full on head to head to head or however many there are and see how it goes. Um, so now as the World Championships is, um, it's like a nine day event. We're going to have uh, enough space and time between things so that you get a lot of runners doing multiple events um, who can qualify and such and lots of opportunity for interesting competition and experiences. I want to share with you two things here. First, we I've got the preview, the preview that everyone should hear where we're going to talk about the key events for distance runners and who you need to know about and what you should anticipate. I'm not going to tell you how the races are going to go because you know who can do that, but I will give you some of my predictions and I will give you some of my impressions based on what we know. And, uh, we'll see if any of it proves to be true or if I'm just way totally off the mark, by the way, I'm fairly good at predicting some things. So maybe you got to get your, uh, get your sports bets right No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Okay. So UK just announced their team recently. Uh, and, and they cut tons of flack for doing so United Kingdom, um, two reasons they got a lot of flack first uh because they chose not to take athletes who were invited to the world championships like qualified athletes who could have gone They chose not to take them um and additional flack because uk basically says well our goal when we send a team to the world athletics is to send people who have the potential to medal in the event and it's like well okay so in every event, there's like a minimum of 28 or 30 people in the event. Depends on the event, you know, how many people are in it. But most events are substantially more than that. And you're telling me that of 28 or 30 people, of course, only three of them are going to medal. That if 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 a Brit isn't a pretty confident medal opportunity, that they don't even deserve to go to the World Athletics. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And yet that's the way the United Kingdom apparently approached it. So that you had up to and including multiple top 20 ranked athletes in the world, top 20 ranked in the world, and they didn't take them. They didn't put them on their roster because they weren't, like, what, top eight? I mean, it's just – crazy mind boggling to me that it's like, we're going to take that opportunity away from these young athletes. And everyone's like, it must be costs. They don't have any money in the budget for UK athletics. And so they're just hiding behind some other excuse, but really they just can't afford it. And I, you know, I find that hard to believe. Um, maybe that's true if it was like, you know, we're talking about 50 athletes, but we're talking about like 20 at most. Um, so, uh, yeah, No, I don't believe that. Anyway, that's what happened. And a lot of people were talking about it. That's unpleasant. Um, Australia, however, has uh, confidently boasting that they, as well they ought to, that they're sending one of their strongest lineups in the history of the country um, for uh, World Athletics Championships. And uh, they've got 67 athletes competing. I didn't mention UK has 55 competing when they could have a fair number more than that. Uh, Australia is sending 67 athletes and many of them, um, like returning, you've got some returning champions. You get some returning medalists. Rather, you've got some, um, some of the best of the best in Australian history and tons of national record holders. And so they're excited. That's going to be cool. Hungary also being the host nation, uh, is excited to announce that they are, uh, hosting with uh, Hungarian representation that is, um, some of their most substantially says their biggest team ever by the numbers 63 Hungarian athletes will be representing in the world athletics championships. Okay. So that's just kind of a quick reference to a few of the, you know, what's happening in these different teams, but now also world athletics has released the stats book on all of it. So you see the entry lists, you see the history of the events, and it's just like 200, 300 pages of running data and I love it. These, these things are so much fun for me. I just mining data is one of my favorite pastimes. So uh, as I'm going through this, what I want to do here is just by the, again, the key events for distance runners give you the what's what and who's who. And uh, if you're, if you have a chance to watch the championships, this will give you some fuel for what to watch and, and what is exciting when it's happening um, and just, you know, makes it more interesting. And we always say that uh, it's better to, we will enjoy a thing more when we are more informed about it, when we know more about it. And so uh, enjoy watching World Athletics because you're getting the best preview out there on World Athletics Championships, at least for distance running. Um, oh, by the way, I was going to share like how to watch it. I was looking all of that up to prepare for you but it got so stinking complex that I don't know exactly how to say it, except for that you have to have like 12 subscriptions to 17 different services before you're going to be able to actually watch all these things. Uh, If you have a Peacock subscription, that's likely going to be the best route to go because the most of it's going to be there uh, both in terms of live and they have the replays, which is good because the coverage is a random times and it's, you know, some of it's like live coverage while it's happening. Some of it's like recap coverage that they feature in prime time. I don't know how to answer it, but it's, a mess so peacock's a good way to start if you're looking for a way to watch this all right men's 800 let's start there um highly uncertain this year the men's 800 has been dominated by a couple particular athletes in the last few years emmanuel career from kenya is the returning defending world champion as well as olympic champion um and yet he has looked kind of terrible this year no surprise he's got apparently uh, some kind of injury that he's been dealing with so that's forgivable but uh, what it means is that it kind of opens the door you know, who's going to be um you know, taking the place Wycliffe Kinyamal seems to be one of those guys um he's the world leader he's run the fastest time this year 143.2 or so but he's not even going to be there because at the Kenyan trials Kenyan championships he was fourth so He's not even on the team, um, and so then we look at okay, who else? Who else do you need to know about? The possible next favorite would be Emmanuel Wignani, Uh nineteen years old. Emmanuel Wanyany. and yet uh, he's got the fastest time in the field if you take out Kenyamal, who's you know didn't didn't qualify. Marco Arop of Canada is always a threat. The dude loves to lead these races, and he'll go fast in the first half, and it is. It's sometimes hard for people to catch back up to him. Um, the Algerians also have just been deadly on the circuit this year. That's uh, Slimane Moula and Jamel Sejati. And then there's another several notable mentions that, depending on how the race unfolds, you got a lot of 800 runners who, if they can stay in it, uh, in the la- until the last two hundred, they've got a legit shot that includes Ben Robert from France, Max Bergen from Great Britain, and certainly Bryce Hoppel, the US champion. Um, he's a savvy racer. He needs uh, he he needs a race that's not too crazy fast uh, so he can be in it in the right times, but he he can put himself out there. How about the women's eight hundred? We've got uh, certainly world leader Keeley Hodgkinson kind of sitting atop the the performance list, looking like a good favorite, except that, Aside from her season opener, when she ran the world-leading time, she has not looked that exceptional. Um, she's not won uh, any of her key matchups. Mary mora has been beating her up and down. Well, I don't, know, I don't know how many times I've actually raced, but Mary mora has been winning races left and right. And um, even though Mora has not run quite as fast as Hodgkinson this year, I find it likely that if it were coming down to just the two of them, that Mora has a better chance of beating Hodgkinson right now. Um, and she has shown that over the years. Uh, however, the big question mark remains um, American a Thing Mo, the returning defending champ and Olympic champ, world and Olympic champion, um, the American record holder. Is, is she, <laughs> I'm forgetting which record she has. Yes. Um, so she's, she's certainly the race favorite if she's healthy coming into it, except that her coach basically said like a week ago, yeah, she might race, she might not. Who knows? Like, you know, it's in two weeks, right? You need to know an answer to that question. Is she running? And uh, I still don't know the answer. I'm sure that I'm sure that it there is an answer to that. I haven't been able to find it. Um, whatever it may be, if the thing not there, then I am leaning toward Mary Mora for the win in this race. I think it's highly unlikely anyone else wins right now based on her momentum. So there's your prediction. I don't, I don't make too many predictions confidently. That's one. I'm, I'm pretty confident. If a thing Mo is not in the race, Mary Mora wins it. If a thing Mo is in the race, I've got no idea what happens there. Cause I don't really know if she's able to put it out there right now and win that kind of a race. Okay. So, uh, don't forget about a couple other notables. Raven Rogers from the United States wins medals at the world level. She knows how to do it. Um, she doesn't win the race most of the time, but, uh, she might be able to. She's always close. Jamaica's Natoya Gould Toppin is also always a deep threat in the 800. And Uganda's Halima Nakai has been there in the past and uh, has, looked strong, has looked strong this season, both of them. How about the men's 1500 meters? This is one of my favorite events. I love the miles. Um, men's and women's 1500 is like the um, the happy meeting of super fast people who are also kind of distance runners. And if Jacob Ingebrigtsen doesn't win i think it's going to be shocking to the world <laughs> it, he is the shoe-in um because he's been undefeated on the circuit this year and he's run incredibly aggressive races and just like performs every time he's broken a world record in the two mile he's just he's the guy to beat right now and he's looked better than he's ever looked and when he's not looked this good he's been impossible to beat so uh, how does anyone beat him um well, where's, let's just talk about where that leaves the rest of us then. So USA's Jared Nagus is the exciting choice right now for a medal because he's been having a great season. He's been running American records, which is huge. Uh, but but also he's been competing at a very high level, including a Diamond League victory on the circuit and a second and a third place as well. So he's, he's finishing up there against all these guys. You know, look at the names who are in the list. He's racing all those guys. Um the only one he hasn't beat, essentially, on this list is Jakob Ingerbretsen. So I, I like that choice for a medal. I don't know what color that medal is, but I like that choice for a medal. Spain's Moqueteer is also uh, certainly a safe bet for a pretty high up finish. He's gotten it done in the past. He's been racing well in the circuit this year. And so we're just going to have to see how it goes. He did get out kicked in his own national championships, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know, the concern for the world championships, which is weeks later. Kenya's Timothy Chariot and Abel Kipsang are both certainly strong in the 1500 this season. And, um, Timothy Chariot's got plenty of experience winning global medals. And so, it's uh, just a question of uh, how the race puts together and how those guys uh, can get it done. Norway's Narve Nordas has been uh, just nothing but improving this season. Um, he is coached, by the way, by Ye- Jacob Ingebrigtsen's dad, who does not coach Ingebrigtsen anymore. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff there that I don't actually know the full extent of it, having researched some of it. But um, Nordas is—he's—he's uh, he's kind of one of the other norwegian stars out there just having like a season of his life right now yeah he could be a question um but then we have to remember great britain's deep triple threat josh kerr neil gorley and elliot giles have all run 329 to 330 this season and these guys have kicks that are just crazy um, that London 1500 was just so cool to watch on their home soil type of thing. And it was good. And then I have to say my sleeper pick, I have a sleeper pick for the men's 1500 and it is Netherlands Niels Leros, who's like 15, like 16, 17 years old. He's 17. I think, um, the young guy Leros, um, and, and, and here, here's the contingency. It has to be a kicker's race. If it's like fast from the beginning, he's got no chance. If it's a kicker's race, this dude might be deadly. Like he's got real potential. He he kicked a 51 second last lap in the what was it the Euro U20 Championships recently. So he's he's a real threat too. All right, uh, there's my prediction though. You heard it. I, I don't think um leaves the race to a late race this year. I think he's going to run the same race that he's been racing Diamond League all season, and he's going to win because no one can do that except him right now. Women's 1500. Faith Kipyegon. Is that it? That's the whole preview of the women's 1500. Faith moving on. <laughs> uh, so we've been talking about Kipriegen because you know she's had the season of dream seasons of all dream seasons. She's w- run three world records this season. Um, Fifteen hundred mile, five thousand. She has not lost to anyone, not even close. In almost every instance, not 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 always, uh, but almost every instance. Um, and so as as it goes, it's kind of her race to lose. You know, in that sense, where. Um, I really honestly could say that I don't think, personally, I do not think that any other woman in that field believes she can win that race. I don't think so. I think they're just all thinking that Faith Kipiegan's a guaranteed victory. Um, maybe they're not. I could be proven wrong, and I don't want to ever cast shade on, like, you know, there's other people who can win that race, but only if Faith is not running that level of caliber um, because uh, she can just. She can just outrun everyone at the moment. So um, that said, there's serious talent in this field. This is a crazy 1500 meter field, including the next three fastest performance times behind Kipchoge are the Ethiopians: Hirut Meshesha, Berke Haylam, and Deribe Weltegi, and all three of them have run two seconds faster than the next person. So like. How are, how's anyone going to beat the three of them? You know, it's, it, of course, they're not necessarily going to do that in these championship races, but because there's the team component going on here, if they can all make it to the finals, who knows what's going to happen? Um, now, I have to say, because Ethiopia has an alternate entered here, and I don't know which one is the alternate, if it's one of those three, or if it's for Winnie Hilu, who's the fourth entrance for Ethiopia, uh, but Hailu has one of the most exceptional finishing kicks of any female in the world right now, uh, perhaps in the world ever. And so if Faith Kipiagon's breaking these world records with these insane final lap kicks, for any hailu if she could stay with her for the first few laps, could outkick her in the end. It's It would be possible with the how, how she has been finishing races. So we'll see. I don't know if she's actually going to be in the field or not. Note that Sifan Hassan is entered In the 1,500, 5,000, and 10,000, I do not know which one she's running yet. I haven't seen anything on that, uh, but I highly doubt she's doing the 1,500. If she is, I don't think she medals. I don't think she has that right now. These other women are just top of the class and top of their game. Laura Muir is in there, Great Britain. She knows how to medal in world championships and uh, is always going to be uh, in the conversation. And then the Aussies, Lyndon Hall and Jessica Hall are both uh, certainly going to have potential there. Ireland, Ciara McGeehan, or Kiara McGeehan, um, has also been racing very well this season. And she's been talking about it. Maybe she's got some medal potential. And don't discount USA's Nikki Hiltz and Corey McGee. They've both been able to finish well in some of the Diamond Circuit stuff. As in the U.S. Champs, Hilts finish and the U.S. Champs was just incredible. Um, so if it's a kicker's race, eh, these two could have something. I doubt it's going to be a kicker's race, though, um, because why would it be with <laughs> the likes of Kip Yegan and those Ethiopians who can all just outrun everyone else? Eh, we'll see. So that's my that's my 1500. Faith Kip is going to win, and then Some other people are (laughs) not a, not a hard prediction there. I'm not certainly putting my money on the line. Men's 5,000. This personally is my most anticipated event. Um, The diamond circuit has been insane this year in the men's 5,000. And I'm just so excited to actually see all of them together. Now in one race, I think it's going to be the race of the meat. Now don't disappoint me guys. So, uh, here's here's what we've got. World leader Berihu Aragawi from Ethiopia is j- he's dominant right now and he's racing the way you like to see people race, just bold and aggressive. It's so cool. Uh, but he's got countrymen Yamif Kijelcha and Hagos Geberwet, who all three of them have run between like. 1240 and 1243 or something uh, just crazy fast times on the circuit this year and all three of them winning or very nearly winning races against the world's best world record holder joshua Cheptegei is in the race um, he's entered in it and uh, he's got the second fastest time in the year uh, and has been able to win races this is he's looking just as good as he's ever looked if not better than he's ever looked before uh, younger countryman jacob kalimo though has just been on the scene with force and so he's he's one to consider. Don't know if both of them are doing the 5000 cuz they're also both entered in the 10000 and there could be a scenario here where um one of them or both of them are doing one or the other instead of both races. Spain's Mo Couture, he's doing the double with the 1500. Um, that's a tricky double, 1500s first and then 5000, so we'll see if he comes off the 1500 uh and he's not fresh, that might change how his 5000 goes or whether he even does it at all. Um and then Kenya's Jacob Krop has has been impressive on the scene as well this year. So don't forget about that. Uh, defending champ Jacob Ingebrigtsen is in the race. And uh, if he comes back, we'll see, we'll see how things go. But if he comes back in the 5,000, the reality is he can win the 5,000 the same way he wins other races. He can do things that other people just simply can't do. But these guys on the diamond circuit this year have been crazy, lighting it up. And so if they're at that caliber against ingebrigtsen at his best i can't say that he's he's got a confident win there uh, we'll see we'll see um beyond that i mean it's hard to say that anyone can crack that top group all of those guys have run 12:46 or faster this year with the exception of ingebrigtsen but you know he set the world record in the two miles so i'm not really concerned about it um so everyone else is like six seconds or more behind that there's a gap um, those guys are likely to be the guys who will break away at some point Now, it also does depend on how the race goes with this one, because all of those times were run in kind of like a time trial format. They've got pacers, wave lights. They're all just running as a pack together in single file for the majority of the race. If it's a more scrappy race, that slower kickers race, different things happen. Um, I have to say that It would be a terrible idea for some of those fast guys to let it be that type of race. And so my best guess is we've got a chance here to see one of those fabled Ethiopian team tactics that we've seen in the past in world athletics and uh, world championships and Olympics. So if if all of the Ethiopians, as mentioned, are in the final together, they may work together and do kind of like a lead trade off and keep the pressure on the pace and try to just break people off one at a time. Not a bad way to go. Remember our conversation about mental fatigue earlier. Uh, if you are with a team and you feel like we're doing this thing together, you have an advantage over someone who is not. That is just undeniable. How about the women's 5,000? 5, women's 5,000, Kip Yegon is finally doing the double. Um, she hasn't done this before, as far as I'm aware, and it's got everyone excited. Um, except Ethiopia's top runners might be a little more nervous. Uh Gide, world record holder in the event and uh prior to Kipiegan breaking it, and uh Gudaf Sigay, who's the defending world champion. Um both of them are excellent at winning races. They can win races from multiple different kinds of race types, uh, and they can certainly win against the world's best. Uh but Kipiegun's unbeaten right now this season and not just unbeaten but breaking all the records and so then it becomes a question of how does this race go because it, it doesn't necessarily favor kip yegan to be like a breakneck speed fast race she has outrun everyone else but she barely beat gide in that world record uh barely beat her so i don't think kip yegan wants to make it that type of race she's also going to have a 1500 already in her legs by this time now i say that but there's a good chance Gide and Sige both may have a ten thousand under their legs also because they're doubling the ten thousand, which is also before the five thousand. Talk about that in a minute. Well, um, I have to say that I think that th- there's this is not a this is a more fragile scenario in general, who might win it, because then you've also got Kenya's Beatrice Chibet, who's just been having a monster season, crushing the circuit. Looks like she's got serious momentum and and that's always hard to break uh, when someone's really on the roll. Sifan Hassan has also entered here, as I mentioned earlier, and I do think she's likely to do the 5,000. Um, and so if she does, she just ran her personal best. She's coming off the marathon right in the spring, and yet she's running the fastest 5,000 that she's ever run, 1413. So this is kind of the, you know, all right, she, she you can't count her out. You cannot count her out by any means. Um, also, I should note, Ethiopia's got four women... In the event, because they have the defending champion, and all four of those women have run under 1420 this season, assuming that those are the four that they actually send. Again, not knowing with alternates who's actually running yet. Edge tai, Gaehu Tae is one, and then Medina Aisa is the other um, to round out with Gide and, and Sige, who are both Ethiopian. Um, and I just have to ha- ask the question Can USA's Alicia Munson do the unthinkable? And what I mean by that is uh, the last time an American female has medaled in the 5,000 in the World Championships was in 1983, which is also the only other time. And that was Mary Decker Slaney when she won the World Championships. Aside from that, no, in the last 30 years, no, uh, sorry, 40 years, <laughs> no American has medaled in the women's 5,000. Alicia Munson's run 1419 U.S. record. She's been in the mix with these women you know the world's best but she has not shown that she is capable of beating them and she's got to beat enough of them to get top three if she's gonna medal so we'll see hold out hope cheer loudly if you're a monson fan and uh, that could be exciting in the last 20 years by the way kenya or ethiopia has claimed all but three of the 30 available medals in the women's 5000 so really what it comes down to is can anyone outside of kenya or ethiopia break into the metal stand because the odds are stacked against them and in a field like this with the talent that's up front it's going to be a great race all right men's ten thousand we're getting down to it now men's ten thousand is a much less certain event than some others mostly because uh we just don't run ten thousands that much anymore in the world um on the track and as a result we don't have a clear picture of who's really ready for a ten thousand of this caliber. Uh, we know that Berihu Aragawi, who's doubling from the five thousand, um, he could be, you know, certainly strong. He's won the Ethiopian championships or Ethiopian trials. Uh, Olympic champ Salomon Berega from Ethiopia. He certainly has been as an, as an Olympic champion, you know, has, has been the guy to beat. He doesn't look as good this season, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not ready to go by world championships time. Um, have to give a nod of confidence toward USA's Woody Kincaid because he's got that devastating kick final last lap (laughs) final last. He's got that last lap. That's just incredible. And you know, it's gotta be the right kind of race for him to leverage that because Woody's got this terrible habit of, Losing contact in the last few laps and then getting too far behind, that when he does this monster kick, unleashes the Kraken, and he's too far behind and he can't catch enough people. So, Woody, just stay in the race. It's easy enough to say. Others on the double include Cheptegai. I mentioned uh, Uganda's duo, Cheptegai and Kiplemo. Cheptegai is the two time defending world champion in the 10,000. The guy is hard to beat in this event. So, uh, I mean, really what it comes down to is I would tell you right now, I'm confident that we're going to see a medal stand that is two Ethiopians or two Ugandans and one Ethiopian or one Ugandan. So, uh, it's, we're going to get a couple of one and one of the other is my likeliest guess. And what's the exact mix? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Women's 10,000, like the 5,000, Ethiopia is running four, because they have the defending champion, Letezembeck Gide. um, And all four Ethiopian women have run under 30 minutes this season, which is insane. The depth is incredible. Now, I should mention that three of those four are entered in the 5,000 as well. That's Gide, Sige, and Taye are all doubled 5,000, 10,000. I don't know for sure that all three of them are going to do it. Uh, there's an alternates entered as well. Um, and the alternates are just as fast as everybody else. But uh, what it amounts to is, don't know what's gonna happen there yet for sure. The start lists are not out yet, but um, when I do know, I'll be very curious to see if that informs what's gonna happen here. So aside from the Ethiopians, who else is in the 10,000? Well, Sifan Hassan is there, and we know that she's in great form. She's likely doing the double with the 5,000, but the 10,000 is first. She'll be fresh. I think that that could be a real threat. Um, 19-year-old Grace Nawauna from Kenya, definitely in the mix. She's one of the fastest times in the season this year. And as a youngster is just kind of an unknown. And we always like the unknowns because they tend to be able to do crazy things that no one expects. and that's fun to watch. Oh no, what did I just do. Sorry, I scrolled my I scrolled really far away. I can't read any of it. Okay, so uh, how, how about anyone else? Well, Alicia Munson's doing the double. All the Americans in fact are doing the double, 5,000, 10,000. Um, and since the 10,000s first, uh, hard to know what that looks like for her. Um, I don't know if Great Britain's Eilish McColgan is healthy at this point. Um, if she is, she certainly is strong. Can always be in the mix. Aside from those two, I don't know. I don't know if we see anyone else. You know, at least um was the double national champion in the USA Championships, but I don't think she does something like that in a race that's likely to be way, way faster. So we'll see. Um, and then let's just uh, a quick note about the steeplechases here. Um, for both the men's and the women's, it's going to be interesting this year. Uh, the men's we've got that the duo. I'm so looking forward to the duo with and El Bakali, um, and I just blanked and I don't have it written down here. <laughs> uh, and so and and so El Bakali having won I think what was it, nine straight. Um, Nine straight victories in the steeplechase at this point. He's certainly the guy to beat, um, but he's not the guy who just broke the world record holder, uh, world record. And so um, let me grab his name here as my mind is blanking. And for some reason, I didn't write it down. Okay, so Girma of Ethiopia holds the world record now, uh, having broken it by a second and a half earlier this season. And yet the two of them have not raced in some time. So I'm just like this duo, this duel is going to be awesome. And we are very excited to see that in the men's steeplechase. Aside from those two, I, you know, I think that's a guaranteed one, two, I don't know the exact order, but that's, I'm confident to say that that's, what's going to happen. And aside from those two, I really can't say that I have a strong guess of who ends up, being able to be in that third place position um look for uh you know certainly some of the talent from both kenya and ethiopia uh have been in the mix um and and there's some other names you know we may see potentially too and the women's 3000 steeple the kenyan one two is devastating right now that's jacqueline chep and beatrice chepkwetch um beatrice is the world record holder jacqueline's like 20 years old, 19 years old. Um, so you got the rookie and the veteran essentially. Uh, and they raced head to head not long ago on the diamond circuit. And it just was, it was amazing to see. And so can anyone else race with them? Well, I don't know exactly. We've got an even younger youngster, 18 year old Ethiopian champion Sembo. Mayu, um, has just been blazing this season. And so no matter what, I think she tries for it. And I think she's got a legit shot at it too. Unlikely to see USA's Emma Coburn multiple time medalist, uh, like unlikely to see her on the medal stand this year. She's just not quite looking like she has in the past, uh, like some of these other women are capable of, uh, but we've got USA's Chrissy gear with that incredible kick of hers. That could be, you know, depending on the kind of race could be an interesting question. I have to say with a spectacular finish, that's great. But can a nine, 12 runner hang with these nine and under runners? Um, The reality is they like to race fast, almost always in the steeplechase. They like to race fast. And so you'd have to be with them at that fast pace throughout the middle stages. And that's just not very likely that many will hang on. So we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds depending on the race goes. Men's marathon. Here's we're wrapping it up. Uh, 94 participants entered in the race. So it's a pretty big field here this time around. Um, And the only thing that I have to say is that anyone who tries to predict the results of the World Championships Marathon is just setting themselves up for failure and feeling badly when when I'm wrong. So I'm not going to do that, but I will say some interesting things here. Defending champ Tamarat Tola, who's a multiple-time World Championships medalist from Ethiopia, he's back again. Could be interesting. Um, And Ethiopia and Kenya boast the top six entry times, which is not surprising Uh, because there's also a number of athletes who don't have an entry time because they haven't necessarily raced a marathon within this season window. And since the marathon qualification is a world ranking thing, as well as some discretion with, within the individual nations um, you've got some flexibility there. And so you've got a lot of runners who don't have an actual entry time, but are very fast and capable of racing with these guys. Definitely keep your eyes out for the Japanese and Ugandan marathoners. They are going to be in the mix for sure. Women's marathon. Then we've got a little bit smaller field, 83 women in the race. Historically, the world champs victories are incredibly unpredictable for the women. Um, but there's usually there's like a couple few people who they get like a couple years, (laughs) three or four years. And it's like, you know, it's going to be one of them again. It's going to be one of them. And then suddenly it's not, um, someone else. And it's usually like, I had no idea that person was going to do that. So, Let's just at least note who some of these uh experienced medalists are in the field. um not many here in the field who are uh returning medalists, but there are some uh Godey Tom gabbercelesis, certainly as the defending champion, is back uh from Ethiopia. Lona Salpeter from Israel won bronze in twenty twenty two and uh she's been able to finish well consistently in world class marathons. Rose Chalimo from Bahrain, there was the twenty seventeen champion, twenty nineteen silver medalist, and so if healthy and in a good place right now, which appears to be um of course someone that we should consider. And then uh, you know, there's there's others who are good at winning like majors marathons and world class marathons, but aren't necessarily medalists. And uh, previously, that includes Rosemary Wanjiru from Kenya, who's a little bit more new to the marathon scene, but she's got a 2:16 PR that's just definitely uh, dangerous. And Sihai Gemachu from Ethiopia, as well as Zerf Yahuala from Ethiopia, both excellent on the racing scene, just not can't point to world championships accolades. Uh, as confident boosters right now. I'm curious if USA's Kira D'Amato um, can join the ranks. You know, So Amy Craig uh, and Marianne Dickerson are the only Americans who have medaled in the women's marathon. Uh, Amy Craig, not so long ago, a couple years back, and then Marianne Dickerson was in 1983, which is the first time they held the World Athletics Championships. It wasn't called that, but the, the World Championships. Um, so aside from Dickerson and Craig, that's it. No other uh, Americans meddled in the women's marathon. So Kira, you know, D'Amato's got the 219 PR. She just ran the American record in the half like a month ago. So she's looking strong and she's been, she's shown her ability to commit to a race, um, to put herself in position. Let's we'll see if it pays off. I hope it can. I know that she could be capable of it and I would love to see it happen. All right. Well, that amounts to a lot of interesting preview action for the World Championships. Again, starts on August 19. We're going to be watching it. We'll fill you in on the first half uh, next time you hear from us, and then we'll wrap it all up after that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. And it's just, you know, we we love the sport, and we love to see how the best of the best perform in the sport. And I think it it's one of those things that, I may never actually do anything like what they're doing. Like I may never even run on a track at all. And yet um, this is this is like the the people who drive our sport forward into the unknown, right? And so I, I love being able to see that and then and, and it's fun to uh, know a little bit about it when I'm watching it. So there you have it. Now with that, certainly need to make sure that if you've got questions on your mind, if you've got thoughts or ideas to share, do that, share it, share it with us. And the easiest way to do that is just go to a to z running.com slash question. And you can ask anything you want right there. And we'll share some thoughts, put it on the podcast down the end of the month and feature your thoughts there as well. All right, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you again next week.